3: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. It's that time of year for some Latino families where we honor our ancestors with ofrendas covered in marigolds. Yes, it's Dia de los Muertos. And today, we're going to talk about the way the tradition has been evolving in the last few years. We'll be joined by one of the creators of the Los Angeles Times Digital Altar and a curator of a Dia de los Muertos show at the Oakland Museum of California. We'll be extending this show into a kind of community altar, hearing from you about those who you miss, those who you remember, both here and now, and across borders and time. It's Day of the Dead, here on Forum, that's coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. I had a complicated relationship with my abuelita, For one, she didn't want us to call her that. or grandma, either. She was not your sweet tortilla and flan-making Mexican grandma. No, she liked tequila, dating younger men, and even had an enormous half-wolf dog named Pepe. She dressed in luxurious furs trailing a thick plume of perfume. She was beautiful and smart and mean. This trailblazing woman who'd once been a Kahlo-style leftist became a Fox News-obsessed Donald Trump fan. By the time she died a few years ago, we were actually quite estranged. Then last year, you know, amidst all the death, I took some time and effort with my Dia de los Muertos altar. My family hadn't done it as a kid, but my sister had been into it for years, and something about COVID forced me to look back at those who came before me. As I placed each photo among the marigolds, scattering petals, lighting candles... I found myself considering my grandmother's whole sweep of life, out of Mexico to Washington State, eventually Indiana, and I began to appreciate what a run she had had outside my relationship with her entirely. She had guts and was fiercely independent at a time when that was not expected of most Mexican women. A new and kind of unexpected peace actually settled on me. I didn't realize that I'd been troubled by how things had ended with her But standing there, before all my ancestors, something calmed. I'm not a religious person, but I planted about 15 cempasuchil plants, the marigolds, this year. And they're all blooming like crazy right now. So that's my Dios Muertos story today. And we want to hear yours about your ofrendas, your ancestors, your relationship to the indigenous practices of Mesoamerica, how they've morphed during these weird times, and what has endured And even if you don't have a Day of the Dead tradition, we invite you to share, too. Has someone important to you recently died? Tell us a little bit about them. You can get in touch, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter and Facebook, of course, we're at KQED Forum. Or you can email your remembrances to forum at kqed.org. This morning, we're joined by Fidel Martinez, audience engagement editor at the Los Angeles Times, uh, Los Angeles Times, Michelle Tejas, an associate professor in the Department of Mexican American Studies at the University of Arizona, and Andina Delgadillo, Delgado, uh, art curator and former associate curator of history at the Oakland Museum of California. Welcome to all three of you. So thank can- you for having you. Yeah. Having yeah. yeah. us um michelle let's start with you i I thought you know we all kind of have our our stories and our remembrances um why don't you tell us who you're remembering this year and then maybe we can get into sort of the origins of dia de los muertos as we celebrate it today
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And and I appreciate that question, because this is at the root of the of the celebration of the sacred time. Right. Um, So I'm always honoring my parents who I have lost um, in the last, you know, my father over 20 years ago, my mom, 10. But this year I'm celebrating and honoring um, a woman who I've written about, Hortensia Hernandez. She was a leader of an autonomous movement in Tijuana, Baja California. Mm -hmm. And she uh, had a quick passing this year of from cancer. And so I'm mm. honoring her and just remembering all the lessons she brought to me as a young person and as someone who is interested in, in thinking about a world that doesn't yet exist.
3: Yeah, yeah. And so when you've looked at the origins of this sort of as a, as a scholar, as a scholar of Mexican-American studies, what do, you, what do you see in it? It's obviously a mix of different kinds of traditions, both like some very ancient and some quite new.
2: I mean, I think that's actually, you know, there's nothing more to say than that, right? I mean, it's <laughs> it's drawn from this long tradition that we know comes from indigenous practices. Uh, we know that they were syncretized because of colonization and Christianity, that, that the arrival to the Americas. And then we know that over the course of history, humans are constantly evolving. Um, cultural practices are also constantly evolving, right? And so through this combination of both, you know, uh, a relationship to the natural world. I mean, originally, of course, Mika'iwi, which is the tradition um, that comes from the monastic ceremony that honored the dead, uh, it was also closely related to the natural world, um, to to the harvesting, to the changing seasons, right? And so that we know that it's it's a much broader interaction. And then over the course of time, we know that um, All Souls uh, Day and All Saints Day sort of become transposed on on these early traditions as a way to convert um, Indigenous communities into, you know, into Christianity. And so even upon arrival to the United States, right, the, the traditions change, the celebrations change and are marked by political context, uh, social context, uh, what is accessible, what is not accessible, economics, right? And so um, I think that for for myself, um, I, I became intimately aware of the ceremony um, because I experienced the sudden loss of my father. And there was something that I wanted to connect to um, back in the Pueblo that we're from People go to the cemetery and honor their um, loved ones, but they didn't necessarily make altars or do the same kinds of processions that you see in other parts of Mexico. So for me, when I came to understand the ceremony, um, I was actually living in Los Angeles and self-help graphics, you know, is Mm -hmm. one of the places in the 70s that, you know, really brought um, Dia de los Muertos, Dia de Muertos to the United States. And and through learning about it, uh, I found a place, a ritual that made sense to me and that then I was able to, you know, teach to my own daughter. And it's something that she's now been raised with. Yeah.
3: Uh, Erendina Delgadillo, uh, art curator at Oakland Museum of California, you know, you put on a show around this topic, sort of the the Modern origins of the celebration, basically, Uh, I guess it was last year, maybe it's two years ago. What's time at this point? Um, And I was really struck by the way that you connected it up with the sort of political context of rising Chicano power, specifically here in the in the Bay Area, like how our tradition sort of evolved in, in the Bay.
4: Yeah, I, um, like Michelle, I think was introduced to the tradition uh, through self-help graphics and art. I was born and raised in, actually I was born in Santa Cruz. So I was raised in Los Angeles um, and my family was raised in Boyle Heights. So and they're really familiar with with self-help and their work. Mm-hmm. And I, as a second generation Chicana, right? my parents were both born in Mexico, but came over relatively young and They were, um, of course, politicized in college um, and then passed on those sort of Chicano versions of our um, traditions and heritage to me. So I really don't remember a time before Dia de los Muertos. Mm -hmm. And -hmm. when I was asked to curate um, the 25th, actually, anniversary exhibition at the Oakland Museum of California, I... (laughs) it took me a minute to really think about how I wanted, you know, knowing that the majority of our audience at the Oakland museum is not Chicano, not necessarily, necessarily Latino, Latinx. Um, And so they have a different relationship certainly than I did with that tradition. Mm -hmm. And so I really took some time to think about how, how we could use this platform to frame Dia de los Muertos in a way that pushes, you know, gently or not (laughs) at the, commodification you know that's so troubling to um you know the relatively recent commodification and um buying and selling of you know exactly like michelle said is is a tradition that's spiritually grounded and um that has sustained chicano identity and chicano politics and helped to pass down um yeah, our our sort of political relationship to this this country, you know, to living on this side of the border as brown folks, mm-hmm. um, how to convey that to folks outside of that experience. So um, it did feel, you know, sort of distilling down and trying to set aside um, <laughs> my own sort of personal uh, bitterness or, or anger at that uh, transformation. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, it seemed like a spiritual, um, you know, sort of shoring up a sense of self was an incredibly important part of the Chicano version of, of the Dia de los Muertos. Mm-hmm. And um, again, connecting back to community from a political perspective, right? Looking at, you know, saying, you know, so many of the folks, we had the pleasure of, of being able to speak with folks who had started the tradition in Sacramento, right? Some, some mm-hmm. of whom were connected to the Royal Chicano Air Force, others with the UFW. Um, some not connected to to either of those you know, political organizations, and we spoke with some folks up here uh, who had helped start the the processions at Galeria and at Mission Cultural Center, mm-hmm. and um, those folks who were there on the first celebrations, both of which happened. Um, well, the one up here in uh, in San Francisco started in seventy two, as did the celebrations at Self Help Graphics, and those in Sacramento. I believe the first procession was around seventy five. Um, but they all mentioned that, um, you know, it was not something that was immediately embraced by the community, especially those older folks who, you know, for the sake of survival had Mm -hmm. subsumed traditions. Um, You know, they came out and told them to go back inside, you know, speak English. We don't do this on this side of the border. Um, So again, it it felt important to, as we were marking and sort of sharing the evolution of this tradition to root it still, um, you know, it doesn't really matter the uh, well. That's not true. I should say I'm not a cultural essentialist. So for for me, it's you know the material culture is an important part of the tradition. But but like Michelle said, if we don't have access to to those same you know. Uh, materials that you use to celebrate the tradition elsewhere it you know it it shouldn't stop you from engaging it really is about connecting with others uh shoring up your sense of self and value right even in the face of (laughs) sort of intersecting systems of oppression we encounter here on the side of the border as brown folks um and celebrating that um yeah, with people in your community. So. And I
3: think that the at the very core of it, there's also just, it's like a, a beautiful, at least my experience of it has been this like kind of beautiful, like just a moment, a time to just to, to sit there with your, with your past, with how you got there. And I think it is something that I think, you know, I know lots of Mexicans who didn't grow up celebrating, but who have gotten into it in part because it feels good to recognize where you've come from and, and how to think about that. We're talking about Dia de los Muertos, how it's evolved and honoring the dead with Erendina Delgadillo. She's the art curator at the Oakland Museum of California. Michelle Tejas, an associate professor in the Department of Mexican-American Studies at the University of Arizona. And Fidel Martinez, audience engagement editor at the Los Angeles Times. And we do want to hear your stories about your ofrendas, who you're honoring. Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Email your questions to forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned.
5: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
3: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the complexities of Dia de los Muertos, how it's evolved, and also honoring the dead with Michelle Teyes, an associate professor uh, in Mexican-American studies at the University of Arizona, Erendina Del Guedillo, eh, from the Oakland Museum of California. And we're also going to hear now from Fidel Martinez, audience engagement editor at the Los Angeles Times. Fidel, you worked on this pretty incredible project with the LA times building a digital altar. Can you sort of describe, you know, cause I know this was a complex sort of process to put this together in a way that you felt good about.
7: Yeah. So, well, first of all, thanks. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Um, so a little bit about the LA times, yeah, the Muertos digital altar. Um, essentially we wanted, we were inspired by the celebrations that you find here in Los Angeles at grand park and the hollywood forever cemetery these sort of very public spaces right of remembrance so Mm -hmm. because we've lived much of the last year and a half in the in the digital world in the digital realm we sort of wanted to bridge or merge the two into one create a digital public space where our readers or people could could leave remembrances for their loved ones um and i would be remiss uh if i didn't mention the fact that this project was born out of a conversation that was held in the la times latino slack channel Hmm. um the the whole project sort of started the term digital ultra was mentioned and it sort of snowballed from there um you know from there, data and graphics journalist vanessa martinez built the page made made sure that the template worked make sure that the whole site could work that people could update a picture of their loved ones, and then write these beautiful memories. Right, mm. and creative director Martina Iranzo valdor was also responsible for the visuals, which I, I'm um, just you know, I just thought they were spectacular.
3: That's so good, yeah. And we spent some time going through these, finding some Bay Area folks um, who had shouted out their uh, family members, just as a as a couple of examples, um, Melly in San Francisco posted a a photo of Adrián. And the message was, I think of my brother daily. He was our chispa, had a hunger to thrive, made everyone laugh, lit up every place he went as a kid, and a young adult in school, work, made friends right away. Such a kind soul taken too soon. Love you, Nano. Some of them were as simple as what Janie Barraway from Nevado posted about Efren Barraway. I love you and I miss you. And I'll say, Fidel, like going through this, I mean, you got having been a part of digital media for a long time. Sometimes you create an interactive thing like this and nobody really contributes. You've gotten hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of submissions.
7: Yeah. As as of last night, we updated the altar because we sort of built this very quickly. Uh, the updating is being done manually. Um, and also because we wanted to make sure that what people were posting re- was appropriate, right? Um, yeah. But as of this morning, we have over 900 submissions in four different <sighs> languages, in Spanish, English, there was one in Italian, there was one in Portuguese. And what I really love about it is sort of the, the scope in which, you know, this shows how much people are wanting to express their love for for those that have passed. And, and it's not just family members. You had a lot of people submit entries for friends you had some people submit for pets we had uh cats we had dogs we had one bunny and a hedgehog which to me just honestly i i the only word i can think of in terms of the reaction to this to your point sometimes you build things i i think realistically our best case scenario for the team involved was maybe we get 40 to 50 submissions and just the way in which people responded to this has been truly humbling and and it just like it means a lot to us that people would not only partake in this project, but also share intimate memories of loved ones to us, that they would entrust these memories to us.
3: Yeah. I also just love seeing all of our people from like all over California and the country just scrolling through. You know, it felt like one of those like like veteranas lucas, like that Instagram account, you know, just all of these like beautiful young Mexican people there. I I I really I was Really quite quite touched by it, surprisingly touched by it, I thought. Um, And, Fidel, I I wanted to also give you uh, the opportunity. You know, you wrote um, a recent, uh, in the Latinx Files, um, Los Angeles Times newsletter, you wrote about your Abuelito Luis. And I thought I'd just give you a sec just to kind of memorialize him if you'd want.
7: Yeah. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. I, I'll be completely honest. I think my involvement in these projects sort of stemmed from a desire to memorialize my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, Luis, who he is the reason why I have an American passport. He left home and country, um, you know, relatively young just so that he could just because of the lack of economic opportunity. And that's sort of, he's the reason why I'm sitting here today talking to you. Right. Mm -hmm. So um he was uh he was my family in my family he was known as a quiet man just somewhat subdued quietly in the back but I, I never really liked this characterization of him because yes he was very quiet but just because he didn't speak much doesn't mean that you know he didn't have great courage i mean the fact i was i was joking on twitter yesterday that <laughs> the older i get the more i realize that our parents and that, that <laughs> the that the children that it <clears throat> let me rephrase that the older i get the more it's apparent to me that the children of immigrants are far less interesting than their immigrant parents or their immigrant grandparents. And quite <laughs> frankly, I genuinely believe that's true. <laughs> I mean, so, yeah, I My mean, I mean, certainly
3: like, more to, yeah,
7: <laughs> I mean, and, and this, this project was sort of an idea as, as we wanted to do something for Los Angeles, which is, you know, half Latinx, you know, and, and so for us to see so many members of our community respond so positively to this, when we went into this, knowing that it could, it's it sort of a, uh, I mean, it's, it's a very culturally sensitive topic. And the fact that the LA Times is an institution which has historically vilified um, and mischaracterized Mexicans and Mexican-Americans, there's obviously a lot of, you know, historical distrust towards this institution. But for, for us, as, as being a Mexican-American in the LA Times, like, I want to use my position to, you know, basically service this community that has long been ignored. And the reaction to this has just been, like I said, humbling and overwhelming.
3: I want to bring in our first caller, Art from Sacramento. Welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thanks for having this show. I really appreciate it. I'm a, i oh, am I have a big family. I'm an 11th and a family of 15 and I've lost um, two siblings, uh, three uh, really. I think the third one was just, anyway, it's lo- long and complicated, but the thing is, is that, you know, I'm reflecting on something I heard two days ago from someone I was taking care of. And they said, I asked, what's your favorite song? And they said, Pink Floyd, I think it was Pink Floyd, I Wish You Were Here song. And I thought to myself that this, this sentiment of, uh, it's okay. of loss transcends us, you know, um, it reminds us kind of like the damn pandemic did that uh, we're all in this together. Um, whether, and you know, we talk about the mistrust of institutions. I'm well acquainted with how, how that works. But in the fact of the is that um, we've always been part of the institution uh, meaning Latinos and African-Americans, native Americans and all the rest of us. And so just appreciate this uh, story today.
3: Hey, hey, Art, um, Keep it for one sec. Did you grow up uh, celebrating Dia de, de los Muertos or uh,
0: no? Actually, I I sure didn't, and you know I grew up uh, really near where Cesar Chavez did the work in Delano with along with the Filipino Americans, and I never learned about Cesar Chavez as a high schooler and being within a fifty mile radius of, of Delano, and so there's a lot of things that I think my family, my mother and father were really. You know, they not that they intentionally tried to make sure we assimilated that was the word back then. I think it was, you know, my name's Arturo, but my first grade teacher called you Arthur and it stuck. And then you get better job offers with a name like Arthur than Arturo. And now it actually might work out that Arturo would get you a better job offer. So it's just, it's just times, times have caught up with us. The fact that matters is that honoring, yeah, so that's my, that's the Hey.
3: Thank- Thank you for all that art. You know, uh, Erin Dina, I, I thought I'd come back to you on on this, just in in terms of like understanding how this tradition continues to sort of live and and grow. Um, and I thought I'd ask sort of the 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 most obvious question that sort of comes out of this, which is sort of the Coco question. Like, did, has this did that fundamentally change the commercialization, or was it merely just kind of one step in a much longer road? And for, you know, people like uh, Art, Arturo and myself, maybe that helps to bring the tradition back for people or, or help them understand it as a, as a new thing. Hmm. Yeah, just your re- re- reflections. <laughs>
4: <laughs> That's a big question. I have to say, I have not seen Coco. Um, I was concerned about having those images, which I imagine are just, you know, Pixar, they do their work. They're incredible at what they do. Um, so I didn't want those, you know, what I imagine, again, are enticing images in my head while I was trying to conceptualize the other los Muertos for that exhibition. Mm. Um I have to say, I think the younger generations in my family, um, you know, my younger sister, my niece, uh, excuse me, younger cousins, um, they do seem to have been inspired by Coco, um, meaning, you know, they didn't necessarily come with us to those processions and continued celebrations at Self-Help Graphics and elsewhere, Plaza de la la Raza, for instance, down here in, in LA. But Um, post coco (laughs) they're definitely more interested um and I I don't think that that you know on on its is a a negative outcome of of that kind of commercialization of of the tradition I, I suppose for me like the what we hoped to do with um, El Movimiento Vivo, right? With the, the the exhibition that I worked on in 2019 and what I maybe would have hoped from Coco. And I'm again, since I haven't seen it, <laughs> I'm not sure that it isn't there, um, but would be an invitation, of course, for those of us who are connected in some way to the Mesoamerican roots of, Days of Day of the Dead to, um, to reconnect. And for, um, you know, I think one of the beautiful parts about our, you know, Latinidad in general in my experience is that we are a sort of warm and welcoming people, right? You will not go hungry. (laughs) You will not be cold, Um, you know, across Latin America generally, of course. Um, So I think, you know, we're always open to inviting people to join our traditions and celebrations. And I would have liked to see an invitation for for folks from from other parts of the world to tap into their own indigeneity, their own indigenous practices, um, and reconnect with their ancestors in the ways that their ancestors may recognize. Um, Again, for those folks who don't have, and and that was partly why we um, were really intentional about um, laying out the the work and the sort of excavation work in, you know, textbooks and through people that those folks who brought the tradition to us um, in the seventies, you know, went through to show that this was a hard one, um, you know, revitalization mm. and that it's a process that other folks I think can also um, tap into within their own traditions. And, uh, it was important also for us to to recognize the relative i mean it's difficult to to say this comfortably but the relative supremacy um of Mexicans on this side of the US Mexico border right of and, and we loom large in latinidad here in the united mm. states um and i think you know, we we mentioned in the story that uh, in 2019, in April of 2019, Mecha voted to remove the word Chicano and the word Aslan from their name, right? In recognition of the sort of appropriation, I think that inadvertently, um, for many, I'm sure, Chicanos have. Um, um, yeah. He, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this,
3: the, the, we we did a show recently just on the complexities of all these labels and who it seems to include and how people feel included in that particular version of Latinidad. And it's I, I, we I, I, I take it as a very complex proposition. Um, Michelle Teyes, I wanted to ask you, you I mean, you have a daughter when you see your own, you know, personal traditions coming up against um, or or intersecting with popular representations of them, how do you talk about that with her? How do you, what do you, would you like to transmit to her?
2: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think that um, she, because she has grown up, you know, with this ceremony intimately, you know, she understand it and understands it in a way that I didn't at her age. Um, and of course, I mean, I did see Coco. <laughs> And we enjoyed it. I mean, the grandmother reminded me of my abuelita from Tomatlan in so many ways. And there's so that she already had a connection to it. And I think and we talk about this also with the intersections between like Halloween and Dia de los Muertos and cultural appropriation. We were just talking about costume, you know, so it's like these kind of conversations are happening always. And what I always say to her is that I mean, just like in Fidel's. Tremendous work on that digital altar. I mean, 900 submissions that we know that people want to connect people want to, you know, uh, to mourn and to celebrate right and we don't talk about death, especially in the US in the same ways right and so. I think that um, what I explain is that you know we everyone has the right to honor, and this is a beautiful way in which we can build community, as long as we're not completely forgetting the sacredness of this time mm-hmm. as well, right? And as long as we, you know, and it's also sometimes a hard pill to swallow when you know there there are such you know, uh, regimented and draconian policies against migrant communities. And and yet, you know, culture flows freely sometimes and is often appropriated. Right. And so how do we make sense of that? Right. Um, and, and I think that by just really grounding ourselves and building relationships and knowing that Um, that we all desire to connect as we're battling this idea, this duality that we experience Mm -hmm. and that we live of life and death. Like we're, you know, we're, we're always fighting our, or that, that ultimate outcome. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that's what makes sure that we center the sacredness of this moment. Yeah.
3: Hey, Amy from San Jose, welcome to the show.
8: Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Um, Absolutely perfect segue into my, my question for you. So Growing up in California as a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant upper middle class female, you know, I was misinformed that Dia de los Muertos was quote unquote ancestor worship. And fast forward um, several decades on, I lost my dad and um, just learning and understanding more about Dia de los Muertos, I would like to understand how the uh, Latin community would enable me, allow me, how can I celebrate Dia de los Muertos and honor my dad without being a cultural imperialist Mm -hmm. and without being disrespectful to your heritage?
3: That's a good question. Uh, Well, you know, Fidel, this might be one for you. I I also want to say, you know, one of the great things about this tradition is it can be entirely private inside your house. I don't think any, I have a hard time imagining that if you lit a candle and put a marigold in front of your father's photo that it, silently in your house, many Mexican people are or anyone associated with the tradition would be mad. But Fidel, what do you think?
7: Well, I I, uh, <clears throat> I can't speak for all Mexicans, Mexican Americans. I, I cannot. But I will say, though, that I, I feel that above everything, the as long as the intention to honor and celebrate and to commune with the spirit and the memories of loved ones that have passed, and there's absolutely no real way to do it wrong. And to Alexis' point, I mean, if you're doing this privately, it's, I think it's absolutely fine. I, I think, I mean, like, like I said, the fact that over 900 people submitted to our ultra from across the country only speaks to how this is a beautiful holiday and we, we're all welcome. Everybody's part of this, you know? Yeah.
3: We're talking about Dia de los Muertos, how it's evolved and honoring the dead with Fidel Martinez, audience engagement editor at the Los Angeles Times, Michelle Tejas, associate professor in the Department of Mexican-American Studies at University of Arizona, and Erendina Delgadillo, art curator and former associate curator of history at the Oakland Museum of California. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about Dia de los Muertos and remembering and honoring some of those who are close to us. We've had listeners write in um, sharing some memories, and I wanted to share some of those uh, with everyone. One listener writes, I lost my father when I was 15 years old. 24 years have passed since then. I've learned that grieving never ends. Now that I'm a mom of two young girls, I felt both heartbroken that they won't grow up with their grandfather. But also I felt healing from talking to them about him and keeping his memory alive. This year, I assembled some photos of my dad and other family members who have passed, and we lit a candle together. My daughter talked about how she misses those family members, people she never met. It warms my heart that she can express longing and love at once. Another listener tweets, I just realized the parallels between an ofrenda and the Japanese Shinto Butsudan. I apologize on the. Um, Pronunciation there. Similarly, we place offerings and photos of the departed. My dear dad passed six years ago in our home, inspired by today, we will create one, inspired by the ofrenda we have seen at SOMARTS. Thank you. And Mari writes Recently, my father's only living sibling died at age 97. The night she died, I saw her a few hours before she passed. When I looked at her sunken eyes, I saw a change from the day before was not ready to say goodbye, and so I regretted not asking her more questions. After her memorial, her daughters gave me a dime-store round mirror with a plastic rim. I didn't immediately appreciate it, but then I realized what a valuable item this was. How many times had this mirror held her as she examined herself from day to day in moments personal and silent, totally without varnish? It is now a sacred object to me, and her mirror will be a part of the ofrenda I erect to her memory today. Oh. Thank you for sharing that with us, Mari. We, we want to hear your stories about your ancestors, your relationship to these practices, how you honor those who've come before you, how those practices have morphed, particularly during these weird times and what has endured. So give us a call now. It's 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook We're at KQED Forum, or you can email your remembrances to forum at kqed.org. Some of these have just been very, very beautiful. Thank you. We also have had some people on Forum, on the show, uh, who we really would like to honor today as well, Um, people we've lost uh, in this past year here in the community. And the first we're going to hear about Janice Mirkatani, Um, This is Karen uh, Hanrahan, president and CEO of Glide. Mercatani, of course, was a beloved local icon who was San Francisco's second poet laureate um, and just an amazing activist here in town. So let's hear that.
1: uh, She was a relentless activist. She was a truth teller for women and racial justice, a poet, an artist, a producer, um, and really a teacher uh, for so many. She was really that unique person who found a way to bring all of these dimensions together in her life and her work. These are attributes really informed by her life's struggle. She's touched thousands of lives, helped people heal and transform their own lives for decades.
3: Reminder, we're joined here in the studio to talk about De De Los Muertos by Fidel Martinez, audience engagement editor at the Los Angeles Times and one of the creators of an amazing digital altar, which you can see at their site. Michelle Teyes, an associate professor in the Department of Mexican-American Studies at the University of Arizona. Erendina Delgadillo, art curator at the Oakland Museum of California. You know, Michelle, I wanted to ask you about sort of where we are in a sort of, I'm going to limit this to sort of a Mexican-American frame, so it's like a little bit easier to answer. But generations, you know, people who uh, are now having their own kids, you know, let's call it people like myself who are in their 30s and and, and 40s, who maybe did grow up in a more assimilationist time. Um, Do you see a broader movement of people you know, who came up in the 80s and 90s to reclaim... Um, parts of their heritage that maybe had, had been erased or never taught.
2: I mean, I think it's been a constant struggle, right? And it's not like a linear process. I think history is actually circular and we have moments of deep engagement, revitalization, uh, and then, you know, complete annihilation depending on the political and social climate. However, uh, I do think that, you know, this year, particularly so because, of all that we've experienced as a collective whole in the last 18 to two years, you know, 18 months to two years, I think is drawing, um, you know, these connections to to Mm -hmm. honoring those that have gone before us. Now, in terms of, Mexican-American, Chicana, Chicano, Chicanx communities, I think that, you know, there's a different kind of um, visibility So even if you're walking down the target aisle and you see all these like things and it might be jarring for somebody like me. Right. I'm like, wait, what, what, how do I feel about this for someone like my daughter? You know, it's just sort of like, Oh yeah, my, who I am and my culture is recognized. Of course it is. Because it always has been, Right. you know what I mean? And so it's Mm like, it's like this, this battle or this between, you know, what is being appropriated or, or overly commodified versus what does it feel like to be actually represented and so i i i mean i, I and so I don't know if I can answer that question. Like I said, it's sort of like this circular thing where we're, you know, in some ways, yeah, you know, I do think that young people, I mean, I teach Mexican American studies. And so when I am teaching my pop culture class, and you know, students have sort of these, I don't know if it's genetic memory. I don't know if they maybe remember as children hearing something that they can and then they haven't heard it for 10 years or 15 years. They come to my class and they're like, oh wow, I'm like, I, I see myself in a different way. That's super powerful. And I think that's a good thing.
3: Fidel, uh, I imagine knowing some of your uh, Latino colleagues at the Los Angeles Times that this is, uh, there's been a lot of discussion about this. What do you think?
7: Oh, absolutely. We've we've been talking, I don't want to say ad nauseum because that has negative connotations, but we've been having this conversation about yeah, the muertos um, You know sort of uh assimilation and whether people celebrate it or not i myself didn't actually celebrate it it wasn't something that was done in my family um and i think largely that's because you know my family has been spared from losing loved ones right up until my grandfather passed away right Mm -hmm. so we never really had an opportunity to employ this practice um that said also my my colleague my esteemed colleague steve padilla who wrote a very beautiful Um, Mm -hmm. story for our food section about his own experiences with the holiday and how, you know, he wrote uh, and I quote, he was too sideified in the suburbs to really partake in this this Mexican tradition, but in in the time since, um, he in the last year and a half, he's lost um, both his parents and a sibling and for him, this is an opportunity to reconnect or or basically embrace this tradition, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I think I think definitely it's you know I, I do want to comment on on the whole notion of appropriation and I do think that when, when we went into this project we wanted to be we were very intentional about everything um, even down to the design we wanted to avoid the calaveras even though they are per, part of the of the celebration our 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 thinking was this is such a, an item. That it been
3: Halloweenified too much exactly
7: right so we sort of wanted to remove that as you know, from the altar, so that it wouldn't serve, it wouldn't be a distraction, and people could really partake in the holiday, as it's meant to, right, to, in, in, on, in honoring and remembering their loved ones, so, I I mean, I think, I think it's definitely, it's, it's definitely been interesting to see, sort of, the, the younger generation embrace this holiday, I think there is a certain level of reclamation happening, Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's, it's quite beautiful, I mean, the, the thing about, this holiday is that it's so universal. It, you know, one thing that binds us all together is that we all experience death. Right. Yeah. So there's a huge universality to that. And and I think that the more people commune with each other, you know, I, I feel the, the better it is.
3: Yeah. It's also been interesting to watch how even in, within my own family, like for my sister, I feel like this was sort of her first step towards like learning more and more about indigenous practices. And she's been, gone, gone a long way down that, that road now. And I, I find it all uh, like maybe this is sort of like a, a gateway for lots of folks who want to reconnect with that side of themselves. Um, let's bring in uh, Nidia uh, from Sacramento. Hi, Alexis. Hi, Welcome. Thank you.
8: Yeah, I just wanted to call to say, first of all, thank you so much for this um, talk, and also really appreciate all the panelists there mentioning groups like Hop Graphics, um, mm-hmm. as someone from, uh, raised and born in um, East of East L.A. <laughs> um, I think a lot of these groups, and then the Royal Chicano Air Force as well. Um, I'm now raising a daughter. Uh, my husband and I are in Sacramento, and I just think the affirmation of the culture. Um, just yesterday, she's 10 years old, coming home from school and talking about how in class they were talking about uh, the other muertos and A lot of the different elements. And we've been practicing that for a few years, but I didn't grow up practicing it. But however, I would say that as Mexican, I think um, part of the culture of we did always acknowledge death. Death was always a part of life. So Mm -hmm. there was that that piece of it. And once we were able to travel to Mexico, because there were several years there where my parents were undocumented and weren't able to go to Mexico, once we were able to, you know, part of the visit was to go and visit um, El Panteón, you know, you visit um, those who had died and you you clean up the, the burial site and you um, remember them. So I just want to say thank you so much for, for this um, opportunity to, you know, talk about something that's really important um, for our culture, but also to recognize that it has very, you know, it is universal, but it also has such different elements for folks, I think, in the way that they practice it. It's um, and then I would just want to put it for us. I think one of the people that we most remember is um, my father-in-law who died four years ago, oh, who yeah. was from Michoacan, you know, and there in Michoacan, they do celebrate with very elaborate um, uh, uh, displays. Um, and so it's it's also been a beautiful thing just to be able to continue to remember his amazing um, man who, you know, brought, came to the U.S. and um, without you know was raised without a father but with so much love and really came to this country with nothing and was able to Raise a beautiful family, and um, just
3: want to say thank you. Oh, hey, thank you, thank you so much for calling. So, so appreciate it. Um, You know, Ed and Dina, uh, I I did want to ask you about a a point that Nidia made. Really, really good uh, point. Which is just about could this could some of the intense interest, even you know, like what Fidel's project got, be as a result of people in American society realizing, in part, because of COVID that we need a different relationship to death. I mean, there are books going all the way back to the American way of death. I think it was in the 1960s, um, talking about the way that Americans ignored death, that we, that we never wanted to, to recognize these sorts of things uh, were happening. And yet here is a holiday that's just like all about it, a moment for, for reflecting very, very deeply on it.
4: Yeah, I think that um, makes complete sense. We're all human. (laughs) This is a reality that we live with as, you know, as soon as we um, are born. So I, yeah, I I think it's a, and I imagine, sure, that COVID has brought that, you know, sort of reality of death even closer than many of us are sort of used to, um, you know, to dealing with, it now on a on a daily basis, right? And within our our neighborhoods, our communities, our state, our city. It's such a um a universal thing that I think has connected us to our fellow human and again brought us sort of closer to that reality of of death. I don't think that it's a, a bad thing at all, that this is a a vehicle that is sort of flexible and universal. And as you said, Alexa, sort of visually really delicious and sort of enticing enough to. Um, to bring folks from all different traditions and backgrounds to start to um, to participate and build their own relationship with death i I appreciated what you shared with that caller um you know that that private recognitions and private um, ways of communing with with our ancestors are just as valid as public <laughs> celebrations and representations right we don't have to necessarily, um, you know, advertise or perform in a in a public way, right? We can just sort of build our own relationship and and our own traditions within our families or just within, you know, between ourselves and and those those ancestors and those mm-hmm. who have passed that we're hoping to to commune with. So
3: Yeah. You know. you know, listener Pauline writes in kind of right on topic. I'm a third generation Chicana with a three-year-old daughter. Tonight we plan to sit in front of our Dia de los Muertos altar and speak about our memories of our loved ones. The pandemic has really shaken up my relationship around death and my daughter has so many questions about it. It is my hope to offer my daughter a healthy relationship to death and grief while I too am learning how to grieve and accept death in a healthy way. I wanna uh, play one more uh, tribute to someone that we lost uh, this year. Uh, Michael Morgan was conductor of the Oakland Symphony Orchestra um, and he died in August at age 63. Um, Here's Lynn Morrow, director of the Oakland Symphony Chorus, remembering him uh, on the show.
8: And he was one of the more ebullient people you would ever meet. I mean, that word was invented for Michael Morgan, ebullient. (laughs) I mean, he was bubbling, you know, if you were having an interesting conversation, Oh, boy, you couldn't find a better interlocutor. You couldn't find a better person to listen and have an exchange with. Now, if you weren't talking about something interesting, mm, that's a different topic.
1: <laughs>
3: we uh, we have more remembrances coming in, and um, I want to just keep sharing them with you because I feel like if, if you took the time, we want to make sure they get there. You know, Natalie writes, Today I'm remembering my beloved son, Stu, whose life was taken way too young. He was one of the most thoughtful people I've ever known and had friends all over the world. We miss your great smile, Stu. Angelina writes, I thought that Pixar's Coco handled the topic very considerately, but my favorite Day of the Dead movie is actually Book of Life. We set up an ofrenda for our grandfather, my father-in-law, as a memorial for his passing this past August. We put out his favorite foods, herbs he liked to cook, and treats such as chocolate and drinks in cups with themes he liked. MK writes, For me, Dia de Muertos is a gift of ceremony from Mexico, Latin America, to the USA. Today, I am thinking of my mom and dad resting among the sage and piñon on a mesa in New Mexico. My brother and too many others to mention. That I can improve my ceremony, honor my loved ones better year after year is a real hope and the sort of gift our country should be more grateful for. And... One final uh, tribute from the show itself. We also lost Lawrence Ferlinghetti um, this year. This is a clip of uh, Elaine Katzenberger, CEO and publisher of City Lights Books, talking about Lawrence Ferlinghetti, who died in February at age 101. This was recorded during an online tribute to Ferlinghetti produced by The Chronicle.
1: There are some extraordinary beings that passed among us, and Lawrence was one of them. There aren't that many of them, I don't think. He was a public person, and he had a a wonderful public persona, this very folksy kind of welcoming ease in himself that really belied um, what was a real sort of protected shyness that he had. Um, Yeah. I I, um,
6: I miss him a lot. I miss him a lot
3: miss a lot of people uh, a lot after this past year. And I just want to thank everyone who called in, shared their memories of their loved ones. We've been talking about Dia de los Muertos, how it's evolved making sure to honor the, the practice as well as celebrating those that we've lost. We've been joined by Fidel Martinez, audience engagement editor at the Los Angeles Times, Michelle Teyes, an associate professor in the Department of Mexican American Studies at the University of Arizona, and Erendina Delgadillo, art curator and former associate curator of history with the Oakland Museum of California. Thank you all so much. Stay tuned for another hour ahead of Forum with Mina Kim.
1: Amor
4: eterno, que
3: inolvidable, tarde o temprano estaré contigo
1: para seguir.